everybody, and welcome to Free Women with Cardin Podcast. I'm your host, Cardin Wyckoff, wheelchair warrior and disability advocate based in Atlanta, Georgia. On this podcast, we believe in creating an accessible world strengthened by supportive allies to build inclusion and belonging. We share stories from people with various disabilities and help break down barriers for the disability community. If you like what you hear on this episode today, please rate, review, and follow this podcast and share it with a friend. I'm giving a shout out to my friends at iAccess Life. It's a mobile app that rates and reviews places on the built environment to break down barriers and transparency on the bathrooms, interior, parking, and any time that you go into a new place. You can find the mobile app on Google Play and Apple App Store. Use the referral code when downloading iAccess Life, Carden, C-A-R-D-E-N, which is my name, when signing up. Today's episode is an interview with Jermaine Greaves. He is the founder of Black Disabled Lives Matter based in Brooklyn, New York City. He is an event planner and clothing brand designer, actor, activist, and dancer. He has volunteered and worked for Afropunk and Brooklyn Music Festival as an event coordinator. He has done in-store festivals, many independent artist release parties, and also has had hand-on experience picking the talent for the Brooklyn Music Festival. He partnered with a clothing brand called Not Like the Other Kids, which gives a portion back to proceeds for kids with disabilities. I am so excited to get to interview Jermaine tonight. This episode speaks the truth. Ooh, it was really great. Um, Black Disabled Lives Matter was founded by Jermaine in a feeling of trauma and sadness and darkness because people with disabilities for so many centuries have not had a seat at the table. And you're going to hear that rawness and realness in his voice. And you can tell how passionate he is about making that change and also being the role model that he wished he would have had growing up. So... All right, let's get to the episode. Enjoy. Hey, Jermaine. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. How's it going? Uh, I'm good. I'm doing pretty well today. (laughs) Well, I'm so excited to get to interview you because you are the founder of Black Disabled Lives Matter. And I... I think that is such a really powerful movement, especially with all the racial injustices that have been happening. Or I guess it's not that it just started happening, but the elevation of it and the awareness of it has really been happening in the last year. And so talk to me about why you started that and why you're passionate about it. I started Black Disabled Lives Matter because I was in the back of a protest line like I was in the back back of a protest line at a march that was not accessible back in June of last year. And I decided in that moment as a black disabled person that I was, st- I was tired of being in the back 
of a protest line during, you know, as you probably already know, as a disabled person, we are always in the back of the conversation. We are never in the front of the conversation. And as somebody that is black and disabled, it's double the marginalization for the type of suffering I experience, you know, as a black person and also being disabled, the racial injustices, the, the medical racism, the systematic racism of caseworkers and case managers and just the system of living in an ISS apartment versus supportive housing, which I have had experience in both. And that's really why I started Black Disabled Lives Matter, but also because my sister died and my mother had COVID last year, but she's okay now. But those are some of the reasons I started it. It was really based in trauma. And that's what I feel like Black people, but specifically Black disabled people, experience on a constant basis. Because as a disabled person, you're constantly being told you can't do something or you're not capable of doing something. So that's where this started from for me. Wow, I, I totally resonate with a lot of what you're saying and in, in that people with disabilities, disabled people, whichever one you prefer to say, are often left in the dark and uh, not in the forefront of conversations. And it's such a retroactive approach to inclusion and accessibility. And it's like, I have to keep proving to people, I don't know if you feel this is the same way, but I just feel like I have to keep proving to people that accessibility matters, people with disabilities matter, and that you have to start including us in your conversations from the very beginning. You have to start designing with accessibility in mind in the beginning so that you don't have to you know, spend a bunch of money and hire a bunch of resources to fix the problems that you could have fixed in the very beginning. Yeah, I, I, feel just, I feel just like you on a consistent basis. It's being disabled and especially an adult disabled person. Like if you're an adult and you're disabled, it's just, it's harder now than maybe when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I just think when you think about the organizations that are responsible for accessibility services, the ADAPTS, the YAIs, the the OPWDDs of accessibility services. And if it, you look at accessibility on a, a national level and a global level, it's still not where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. There is no central point for people with disabilities to thrive anywhere in the world. And that is so traumatic for me to think about that we don't have the kind of accessibility that makes us uh, have a voice at the table of so many conversations that's necessary. Mm -hmm. I feel like we constantly have to, like you said, prove yourself and also prove that the conversation about accessibility is extremely important. I think it just, it just makes it harder as you become older, you know, living in a big city like New York, you feel that because there's more services, you get more help at a faster rate. And that's not the case. I am still fighting a housing subsidy. I am still fighting other services I'm supposed to get at home that I'm still not getting. 
I'm still fighting mm-hmm. the fact that I haven't gotten a proper bath chair and that mm-hmm. I haven't gotten my rental subsidy. <laughs> you know? And wow. I literally almost got evicted. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have been paying my rent for two and a half years. You have or haven't? I have. You have. Okay. I have been paying my rent without housing support for two and a half years. You know, and, and that's what it is. You know, you have all these agencies. They're supposed to be about support services. And mm. where are the actual support? Mm. Uh, that's still a real question for me. And I think the same for you as well. Like, these so-called support services do not provide safety. And I'm tired of that. We have to do a better job of really having us at the table and giving us a chance to hear what we have to say. Because our our experience is not inspiration for it. Yes. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Our experience is real life. You know, so I, I don't want people to think, oh, I... I have to overcome something to be mm-hmm. able inspiration porn. Um, I don't care about that. I am a person who wants to live my life fully and unafraid and able to be able to get around. Mm-hmm. I don't want to feel that because I'm in a wheelchair, you're going to already limit me. I've been limited since I was a child. I was already told I couldn't do anything. So, Telling me that as a grown adult is not going to make me feel any better than I've already felt. Mm. There's just so many things that disabled people have to mentally go through just to survive. Mm-hmm. And that's irritating. <laughs> like, can I live my life and enjoy my life the way I want to? Like, is that too much to ask? Mm. It shouldn't be. Is it too much to ask? It's just not like the fact that you're waiting. uh, Are you on a wait list or what's the issue with the bath chair? The bath chair is really Medicaid. The Medicaid, you know, Medicaid is, Mm -hmm. you know, dragging their feet as usual. (laughs) And I say as usual because this is a problem all over this country, Mm -hmm. all over the United States, I mean. So it's, you know, there are people with disabilities right now waiting for services, waiting to get service properly. People are waiting on wheelchairs. People are waiting on the things to survive. Mm-hmm. If if you abolition, I'm a big fan of abolition, which is tearing systems down to be rebuilt again mm-hmm. so that it's equitable for everyone. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I yeah. just think that we as disabled people need to be like the people in the 1974 riots, you know, storming the Capitol building block. What Brad Lomax did is what we need to do now mm. because we are still being very much ignored and nobody seems to care, even in a pandemic crisis. Mm-hmm. We're not priority on the COVID list, guys. And we are the most um, people that are going to get COVID, most likely. And we're also going to have to deal with the ramifications of getting COVID and having a disability. From the elderly to the disabled. So because we are not on the priority list, there's this thing on uh, Twitter called High Risk California. Because there's a lot of high risk disabled people and immunocompromising people that are not getting 
uh, the priority list for the COVID vaccine. Yeah, and it's a, we seriously. have to do a better job of just meeting the needs of what we need now. I feel like accessibility services are so outdated. And I find that they're catching up to what I'm doing when they're supposed to already be ahead. Can you um, elaborate? Talk. Can you elaborate more on what you want to see for accessibility services to be more up to date with the future or in the current okay. times? What I want to see is, like you said earlier, us at the table. I think having us at the table and letting you know what our problems are, but also stating to those that are in positions of power to listen to us and to hear us. Also, I want us to start running some of these organizations because a lot of the people in the mm -hmm. organizations are not disabled. Mm -hmm. They are able-bodied people at the top of a food chain. Right, so they're making decisions about disabilities. Telling people what we need when we know what we need. I think even when you go to pe people who study disability, mm -hmm. studying us is not going to give you everything that you need to know about us. You have to talk to us. You have to listen to us. You have to hear us. And I think that is the biggest problem. We have never been heard in society. We have been looked at as outcasts. We've been looked at as people who are dangerous. We've been looked at as people who are sick. So when you're kind mm -hmm. of focusing on people who are sickly and cannot survive and are not able to survive because you see them as a sick person and as somebody who is unable to take care of themselves, you're not looking at them as a person. Mm -hmm. We have to undo the medical racism. We have to undo the trauma that we cause disabled people on a consistent basis from their safety to even how they're living their lives. Mm -hmm. It's trauma and mm -hmm. we must, began to understand what race, how race plays into that, how where we live plays into that, and the kind of services you get all over this country. Mm -hmm. Because everybody's not getting the same kind of services I'm getting here in New York. And even if you are getting the services, they're giving you the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. And there's so many other people you have to go through to get what you want. So you're not going to get it easy regardless. So is the answer something like universal health care? Or do you think that in combination with the abolition of the accessibility services? I think what has to happen in terms of universal healthcare and accessibility services as a whole is getting a comprehensive plan that meets the needs of the people you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Like really listening to us, what are our needs? And how can you get us our needs in an efficient time? And I also think Medicaid needs to come to the table and listen to us as well. Because if, if you're not able to listen to what I have to say, how can you service me? Mm -hmm. And also Medicaid is only looking at something that a doctor is prescribing you or a medical uh, form that the doctor is sending out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we have to do everything from the medical hospitals. We have to combine it in a way. We have to, they have to not only listen to us, but combine the information that they have on us at the hospitals as well as the support services so people can know how to service us better. Mm. 
because I do not believe that the support services currently help us in a well-rounded way. You have a case manager, a case worker, you have all these different agencies, but things are still not getting done in an efficient time. And because you have to go through so many other people outside of the agency, they have their own process too. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, when I look at everything, are we really getting service or are we just getting passed around? Mm. Mm. Kind of goes back to that, that reoccurring theme that you're talking about is like trauma and always being at the back of everything. Are you really, are we really getting the support and services that we desire and that we need in order to function and be able to just live a daily life? You know, because, because for me, it just feels like, am I happy being on my own? Is it easier living with my parents or is it like, (laughs) it's almost like telling you like the best thing you can probably do is have someone take care of you the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. But that's not what I want for me. Right. I want to be able to take care of myself and have the services that I deserve to have to live. Why is that so hard to understand? It's not a concept. It's not an overarching theme. I just want to have the services that I deserve to have. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, just being able to be safe and have a safety with the agencies I'm working with. That lack of safety is something that looms over our head all the time. And not to mention social security. And if you make over a certain amount, it's like they reduce your amount. And then what what do you have left? Mm -hmm. And then if you think about the kind of work we can do as disabled people in job-related fields, it's very limited, you know? Mm -hmm. And even when you're trying to break ground in an industry you're in, and luckily for me, I'm in so many industries, it's, still a challenge because they haven't seen somebody like you in those arenas, whether it's the clothing, whether it's the acting. So you're constantly breaking the glass ceiling every single day. And it's like teaching people that you meet how to properly treat you. (laughs) It's just extremely overwhelming. and, And it's just like, <laughs> it's just like asking people. I just can't help but laugh because of how true. <laughs> it's like, are you listening to me? Or are you yeah. just wasting my time? <laughs> oh you know man, what I mean? I, I really, you're speaking the truth, so I'm really, laughing because it's so relatable. I really just wanna. <laughs> I just really want people to get like our experience is not your inspiration porn. I'm so tired of that logic. <laughs> you know, I'm a human being. I want to talk about feelings. inspiration porn. <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw on your website that you were featured on Good Morning America and all these other really well-known news stations about dancing at a music festival. And I love the words that they use in that. Look at this inspirational black person in a wheelchair who is dancing at a music festival. Like, why is that national news? 
Well, first of all, why it's national news? Because I actually look good in it. <laughs> but I also think people. <laughs> um, okay, okay, I see you. First, that, that's the first thing. But I also think it's, um, I don't know. I think for people, when it comes to disabled people, when people have not necessarily seen us having fun, people are used to us being like, struggling through things or or just having an inspirational story that we have to overcome in this case that wasn't the case you know i just decided to go to a music festival and dance you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so it wasn't a story about somebody overcoming anything because i wasn't overcoming anything i just was having a good time dancing i think what has to happen is realizing that disabled people are people too. Mm-hmm. We have this notion that because this person is disabled, they're overcoming something. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. I just happen to work really hard and get where I am. It's not always inspirational point. And I think, and it also takes away from you getting to know the person because you're so caught up on what they've done. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I love the video. I get the message of the video, but I'm much more than that video. Yeah, I think when people kind of pigeonhole you into uh, uh, this box, that's all you'll be for some people. And you know, some of my Instagrammers still want me to do the dance stuff, but I'm trying to show you how different I am. I'm not just this viral dance video. I'm trying to do a lot more with my 15 minutes of fame. (laughs) I am a clothing designer. I am an actor. I'm a college student. Mm -hmm. I'm an activist. So respect me in all of the things I am and not just the things you're comfortable in seeing. Because that's also problematic too. People want to see you in one way and that's it. No, I'm a lot of different ways. And that's okay too. Mm. All of it is still valid and all of it is still important. And I think we have to get to a place as people where we see disabled people as people, not necessarily their disability, but as they are human beings. Mm -hmm. And that's important. See us as we are, not as what you think we are. Mm -hmm. Because that will never, that will, people will always look at us like other because Society hasn't taught people how to treat people with disabilities like people. And we have to do our unlearning from the school system to even the IEP format. That, that we have to unlearn an entire system that has taught people to treat us like we always need help. That kind mm-hmm. of unlearning takes time and it takes people like us to educate people on the kinds of things we go through as adults. And to not treat us like children because we have a disability. <laughs> uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm definitely grown. I definitely have friends. I definitely do adult things. I'm not just somebody in a wheelchair who's boring. And I think that has to also change. You know, I have mm-hmm. someone I'm in a relationship with. I have a love life. It's happening. You know, I'm not just somebody who's like mm-hmm. disabled and bored and depressed. And at home, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I am a whole adult living my Yeah, you out there doing stuff. You no, know, like I'm living my whole life. And I, I think people have to give us our things. We never get our things. It's always like we're fighting for our things. And that's really frustrating. 
the love life, what you touched on was something that I saw something on Twitter that was really disappointing and kind of traumatic as a person with a disability. It was a, a gal who reached out to matchmakers dating to, and she has a disability. I mean, I don't know the severity of her disability, but I know she uses a wheelchair mm-hmm. and she reached out to request dating matchmaker services. And they responded back saying that they're not experienced in matching disabled people to regular people and that they're not going to be able to help them because of they their insecurities and that the dating service being afraid of that person with a disability feeling rejected. Um, what the hell? <laughs> that was, <laughs> because, I mean, I could read you this entire email, wow, but it just was so, so like, horrible. And here's, this is the other thing. It says, regretfully, others are not always open to dating someone living with your disability and may decline to go forward with a match when offered. So we have found wow. that achieving good outcomes for full-time wheelchair user clients can be quite challenging. As we get more inquiries from the disabled, we are considering developing a specialized brand for the disabled dater. So a segregated experience for disabled people to Excuse find love. Me? What in the hell? <laughs> this is real life. <laughs> um, where do I even begin? I want to respond to that. First Matchmakers of all, dating. First of I'll all, they can kiss you. my whole ass. Um, <laughs> I'm like, what? Um, secondly, I am in a relationship and we can date. And I do a pretty good Amen. job. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, thirdly, like, how, how outdated are you? This is what I was just talking about, about like systems being so outdated. Like, it mm-hmm. doesn't make any kind of sense that we still have to deal with this kind of ignorance and lack of care in 2021. It mm-hmm. just does not make any sense that people don't know how to properly speak to us. To say to someone, you don't know how you can help her date, put her on the damn website and match her with some people. <laughs> like, what is that? Like, is is it so hard to simply say, you know what, uh, let's, you know, and I, I can share with you some of my dating experiences because I am openly bisexual. So I have had what my mm-hmm. dating experience is. How do I even say this? There have been some men and women who've asked me for money in exchange. Who've asked you for money? Is that what you said? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm telling all my business, but this is is you know me sharing my life. Um, yeah. You know, That's your story. I, 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 th- I think for me. I don't want people to come to me because they feel like they're either helping me or I'm helping them. (laughs) That's not why I like you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I like you because I actually like you. It's not because Mm -hmm. I need anything from you. I can, I can take care of myself. I'm not somebody who needs to be baby either. 
And I, mm-hmm. I think when we look at how they view us in the dating pool, they don't really have advertisements for us dating. There is nothing that is true. advertising showing a loving disabled couple. There's nothing in advertising showing an able-bodied person dating someone with a disability. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, let's call out Tinder and Bumble and Grinder and Tinder, all of Bumble the above. And, and Grinder and all these sites. They are all non-disabled, very able-bodied individuals. You know, and I, I know... Uh, finding love. What about me? You know, it, it's just very... It's, you know, and it, it, you know, it's really sad that we're not in Valentine's Day is a couple of days from now, too. Which is really weird, um, but I just, I just <laughs> I think, I just think, um, hashtag single forever. <laughs> hashtag I'm not single, but I don't, and I don't want to be. Uh, um, you know, I, I here's my thing. You know, as a disabled man who has dated both women and men, I just don't want people to come to me because they need something. I want you to actually mm-hmm. like me. I want you to actually be in a relationship with me, not because you need money for me to have sex. It's like. What the hell is that? You know, yeah, I, I want people to actually like me for me, not because I'm there to help them and they think I have some money. I'm like, what? Like, don't let the social security checks fool you. I am still broke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay. And, and right now, as a disabled person, I can't even really do events right now. I mean, you could kind of do it, but mm-hmm. it's not really a safe time to do it. Yeah because of gatherings, I don't have the luxury of just um, doing it in that way. You know what I mean? I don't have the luxury of just, of just, you know, being able to just be disabled and kind of live my life. And, and people are always trying to size you up. Like, how disabled are you? I'm like, no. Stop trying to size me up. I'm a, I'm a person. Mm-hmm. I think right. I think what's happened in the dating pool and when you're disabled, because I've seen this. Like, I've had guys tell me, like, yo, I like you, but can you spot me money? I'm like, do you really like me? You just want my money. Because what mm. is it? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's disheartening to know that, like, for me to find love, I have to give up something to get what I want. It's not yeah. simply because someone loves me. Although the man I'm with, it's very different now. And he... He begins to under he began to understand like how much I loved him. The way we started dating and where we are now is completely different. There is a respect level there. There is this notion of you know what I love you, I care about you, and I realize you actually care about me, and you're not just here because you just want to make love to me. You actually like, and he eventually opened up to me and told me he had ADHD. Right? So it's two mm-hmm. disabled people. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that, but it was just eye opening. And uh, yeah. I, it was just like, huh? Well, I think there is at the, at the root level of human, right, is our story and who we are as an individual and what makes us that person and the way we show up for others and our beliefs and our values. But I think when you become vulnerable with someone, you allow them to feel safe and trusting to have them open up 
to you about their deepest, darkest secrets or, you know, whatever insecurities that they have about themselves or their disabilities? I mean, that's kind of true. I, I mean, when that person told me about that, I was definitely not prepared. Because mm-hmm. it surprised me. I didn't. But also, I, I learned something in that too the invisible disability community that they are out there and you may not see their disability, but they have it. Right. And And the other thing is people who don't want to date disabled people is their problem and not the disabled person. True. But, you know, I I felt like eventually, I guess because I realized like me as a person, I was genuinely for them and I cared for them and, stuff like that you know mm-hmm. and I had told the lover of my life about almost being evicted recently and they just mm-hmm. called me and was like you're gonna get through this I'm like I hate it <laughs> like why don't I have safety why can't I feel safe right like for me it's for most of my adult life someone's gonna have to take care of me and and I'm gonna have to go through this real this roller coaster of services. Mm-hmm. It's really traumatic. And that's kind of what you were saying, the starting of the Black Disabled Lives Matter movement. And so can you talk a little bit more about where you've marched and the reach that you've had? Okay, the reach. Okay, so where I've marched so far. I'm based in New York City. So I've mm-hmm. marched in Brooklyn and Harlem in New York City. As of right now, we have done virtual Zoom events. We have a reach from California to freaking Paris. <laughs> That's how far we've reached on social That's media. Cool. And um, for me, and uh, recently I was just featured in PBS. Nice. For the movement. So I, for me, when I started this, I started this in a place of feeling isolated and Mm -hmm. as though I don't exist in society at all and in a place of trauma and in a place of my pain, using my pain to like heal myself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's where this came from. So to see it really energizing other disabled people to feel like they can march and protest and engage in a very serious conversation and I'm the only one in the modern time which is now that has done something this large mm-hmm. well, I'm also making history too it's, it's um, heck yeah you are it's awesome it's, I'm talking it's to a famous person thing. it's like wow I'm really <laughs> I'm like I'm on PBS right now. And like, right? That is and, and so like, cool. I've done articles with, and I've done, I've done so much with it. I think where it's going to grow is going to be a global thing. I'm going to turn it into a global thing because that's all I want it to be. I want people to see them. Yeah, definitely. People with disabilities to see themselves all over the world. And specifically black people with disabilities to see themselves all over the world. What people mm-hmm. don't know... What, and the Black Lives Matter movement barely talks about this. I have a little beef with them about this statistic. 50% of, of the people in Black Lives Matter have been disabled. 50 to 60% of them have been 
killed by the cops when they've been disabled. And that's not something that we really talk mm. about. Mm. But my goal mm. in 2020 and 2021 is to have that conversation much more and let's go there. Let's talk about equity. Let's talk about disability services. Let's have the tough conversations. Let's speak to the head of a JAP. Let's speak to the head of these services and have the real conversation of why people are not where they should be in accessibility mm -hmm. services. You know, I actually didn't know that statistic, what you were saying. You yeah, were saying 50 percent of all of, people that are, are, have been killed by the cops are black and wow. wow. And yet, no one really talks about black disabled lives. No, it's like, it's like we're ghosts. But as That's black people, you kind no of idea. already experienced that with the racism and all the isms mm -hmm. that we see, classism, houseism housing, discrimination, redlining. I could go on and on. But it, it, <laughs> it's, just, it's just so much trauma that Black people have to deal with. Specifically, Black disabled people, although we're saying something, it's like we don't exist. And mm. I'm fearful for the future of disability. Why that? Because if we have these so-called support services and they don't mm -hmm. hear us now. When will they hear us? Mm -hmm. You understand? So, mm -hmm. you know, these services have been in existence for years. And we are, and the ADA is 30 years old. So we are basically dealing with a young adult <laughs> um, <laughs> that, has, that has still yeah. some growing up to do. That's, that's very true. There's a lot that is and because not it's accounted. it's so behind. It's so behind. Like what you were telling me earlier about mm -hmm. where you live and how there's, there's, there's accessibility, but it's very limited. That's not yeah, Atlanta's difficult. You know, and even New York is pretty good. We have 24-7 transportation and it's pretty good. But again, to you, you could go to a different part of the country and not get the same services. I mm -hmm. think we should have a universal plan that gives mm -hmm. people with disabilities the same services all across this country. Mm -hmm. because, because we are people too, and we have to live. Give us yeah. adequate housing. Give us things that will make our experiences so much easier. Because if you're not going to do that, you are going to hurt us. And you're harming us without knowing it because you're not living in our experience. That is harm. Yeah. For those that don't know. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier was supportive housing. And what that is, is housing that is there to offer services for people with disabilities. And the city of Atlanta just put out their housing accommodations and affordable housing white paper, basically, or one pager, I should say. And the supportive housing in Atlanta are basically like on the bluff. Like they're, they're not in the city center. They're not in Midtown. They're not in the 30309 district. And so 
how do you feel that those supportive services are not in the center and the central? You know, as someone with a disability, you want to feel a part of a city if you're living in it. Why do you have to be on the outskirts? I think as someone who's lived in supportive housing in New York and just supportive housing in general, from my experience, you live in supportive housing with maybe two other disabled people and you're supposed to make sense of it. You know, you Mm -hmm. don't have, and I think where supportive housing has honestly failed is informing people of the other person's disability. Because in those environments, it's usually structured by an agency. They bring people in. They bring an X amount of people in to a certain housing. So like what you were stating before about them being on the outskirts, it's not accessible for them to be on the outskirts of a city. They need to be where there's access. That mm-hmm. is the crime. Access to the grocery store, to healthcare, think, to leisure and activities, events, things that are happening th- in I the think, city. I think the problem with a lot of these cities, states, and countries, and even internationally, is they're not willing to make the investment on disability, you know, independence. They're willing mm-hmm. to give us the bare minimum to survive. But they're not willing to give us things that will make us thrive and live well and do well. Mm-hmm. That's the harm. I think you give me enough to be okay, but you won't give me enough to sustain myself. That is the real harm. Mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm really snapping today, but you know, I'm, I'm tired. You're speaking of, the truth of where and I'm learning services a lot. are right now. I am disappointed that at 28 years old, I'm still struggling with these issues I've had since I was a kid. Yeah. Like, we have to do better than this. And I hope that people wake up and realize that we are Mm -hmm. people too, that we matter, that it's important to hear us, to see us, and to acknowledge us. Because mm-hmm. we are erased. Black disability history has been erased. Disability history as a whole has been erased. We need to teach it in school. We need to teach our kids about disability history. We need to teach adults about disability history. Yes. Because adults, oh, man. listen, adults, I'm coming for you right now. <laughs> you don't get it, okay? You do not get it. I'm sorry to be so damn shady. you know what's crazy to me is that growing up disability history was non-existent in your textbooks you learned about the americans with disabilities act i think in a single sentence in i don't know what's which one's the american history fifth grade 10th grade i don't remember but yeah I didn't, what's really sad is I didn't hear about Judy Human and that entire movement that was filmed in Crip Camp on Netflix yeah. until last year. And it's, that it's is really a, it, sad it's such a for someone who's a disabled the, person. It's such a, it's such a shame that disability history has literally been erased. Mm-hmm. Like, like, 
we already don't exist in society. So now you erase our history. Like, mm-hmm. what is that? We deserve. And that's, that's why for me, I, I go to the media all the time. You're not going to erase me. <laughs> I do not play. I, I go to these media platforms and I know some friends in media, so I'm kind of, you know, smart with it, but I refuse to be erased. Like my yeah. movement will be in a damn textbook. If I have to fight for it, it will be in one. You know, we spend a lot of time on, yeah, what you're saying is is also true. The other thing about disability history and being erased is, you know, we spend a lot of time on Nazi Germany and the Holocaust and that horrible thing that happened to, to so many millions of people. However, why didn't we talk anything about in our history books about putting disabled people in these facilities and basically letting them just rot and die. Exactly. Like that happened in the Holocaust. Even the section 504 with Brad Lomax. That's like never Mm -hmm. talked about. Yeah. That's how we, that's how we even got to the Americans with Disabilities Act. Without Mm -hmm. them doing what they did, the section 504, we would have never had Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm-hmm. So we have to begin, you know, that's why for me, a razor of my movement is not an option. You will hear about right. my movement. I will scream about it at the top of my lungs because you're not going to erase me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to stand for that. Yeah. And you will hear what, about what I have to say. <laughs> Speak yeah. it, preach it. You know, it's just, <laughs> let you know, it be known. As a black person with a disability, I not only have to deal with racism, classism, and all the isms, but I have to constantly show that my best as a black disabled person. Mm-hmm. And just as a disabled person, period, it's this constant state of showing up and you're so tired. And your body hurts and there's aches and you're just, there's mm-hmm. so many things you go through, spasms, uh, the body aches, the emotional turmoil, the up and down of your adult life, the, the lack of safety for your adult life. Mm-hmm. It's so much and it's so much weight and it's so heavy and we can't ignore that. Yeah. So who's there to support you? Huh? Who's there to support you? Other, I'm not talking about the government. I'm talking about your people. It's so weird that you say that. And I don't have a lot of answers. I mean, I, I can say that currently maybe two people that I can like count on, maybe my mom sometimes and like my mm-hmm. home care workers are there. But as can, and, and sometimes the case manager and caseworker, but a lot of the things I'm doing right now are very much on my own. And uh, I have a team mm-hmm. of people that I talk to about my emotions for Black Disabled Lives Matter. And I did go to like therapy before. I'm considering going back because it's just been a lot. Mm-hmm. It, it's just like you know when my when my boo was here, <laughs> the lover of my life. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. feeling like this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. 
So I, I, I realized that also with them not being here, the shift of my mood, you know? Mm-hmm. And also yeah, realizing you that like, you. when you don't have that constant love and affection and just the, the idea mm-hmm. of being in a, a relationship, mm-hmm. it does something to you. So I just, I just think that happened, but also, you know, having to be in this constant state of fight or flight Mm-hmm. As a disabled person, it's so draining. Mm-hmm. We have to fight our congressional staff. We have to fight the people that we work with. We have to fight our home care workers. <laughs> it's just <laughs> so much fighting. <laughs> and it's just like, can I get a break, please? <laughs> you know? Can you... Um... <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, sometimes it is a little exhausting. I I definitely can resonate with that. I know when I hit the bed, it is just I'm out. <laughs> and I don't wake up until my alarm wakes up. I'm definitely. And know. I've always been like that. I've always been able to just hit the bed really hard and just fall asleep because I do think it is it is draining every day to have to get up and show up for the disability community and lead the way and. You know, speak and, your piece and and because and we don't have you and we don't have too many examples like that have led mm-hmm. the way. It's it's always like we're starting over and it's like we're the new face. You know what I mean? Mm. It's just it's just like this this starting over for me and this uh, you know this uh, realization that if I don't do it, I don't know who else will do it. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to be that person for yourself, that role model that you can look up to. The yeah, one that's because making I, I history. See it. Like I just learned mm-hmm. about Brad Lomax and Judy Hellman from Cookham, like you. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I didn't have examples of disability fighters. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that Harriet Tubman was disabled and, and right. all these people. It's like, what? <laughs> Harriet Tubman mm-hmm. was what? She was disabled? So it's, it's a complete unlearning of like what you think disability is. And we are so strong. We are mm-hmm. so strong with our spasms and our issues. We get up every day in pain, some of us, immunocompromising <laughs> mm-hmm. and still fight. Yeah. Like that is powerful. Mm-hmm. That is power. It's not inspirational. It's powerful there's a big difference you know and it's it's um it's it's power to know like you wake up every day and you have to you're either in pain you have an extreme spasm or you just can't move Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) or you mentally can't get yourself out of bed because of all of the obsessive and compulsive thoughts that are going through your head you know right now as black disabled people we have to deal with uh covid killing a disproportionate amount of black people globally, right? You have to deal with showing up every day at your job, your school, your place of work, and still being your best, also knowing you're tired. (laughs) That is a lot. Mm -hmm. But we are still here. And that's Mm -hmm. why for me, fighting for black disabled lives is so important. Mm. I fight for Elijah McClain. 
Walter mm-hmm. Wilson Jr. Walter Wilson Jr. I fight for Matthew Russian, who's in jail right now and who should not be. Mm-hmm. Shouts out to Matthew Russian's Instagram page <laughs> um, and his family. We talk sometimes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to make sure that Matthew gets out of that jail because last mm-hmm. night check, he had COVID. Mm. It's a shame. I fight for Tamir yeah. Rice. I fight for George Floyd. I fight for Eric Garner. I fight for Sandra Bland. Those are the people I fight for. And mm. Freddie Gray. They all had a disability mm. and they were black. Mm. So I have to go out there, march and protest, mask up, sanitize for a liberation I have never seen before. <laughs> Okay. I knew Elijah McLean and and George Floyd had disabilities uh, and pre-existing conditions. Yeah. I I didn't know about the others. But like you said, 50% of the the black people that have been killed are disabled. Yeah. Yeah, 50 to 60. So most of them have been disabled. Yep. Hmm. And we have, Thank you for saying their names. That's so important. You're welcome. And we continue to elevate them. You're welcome. And respect them. I mean, they're people. Yes. You know, and, and the sad thing about the Walter case is that Walter mm-hmm. was, you know, he had a mental health episode and instead of listening to his mother, the cops shot him. Mm. And in the case of Elijah McClain, Elijah McClain was just saying he was going home to his house and mm. he was a bit delayed in talking to the officer and the officer just, tra- you know, stabbed him with a tranquilizer and basically killed him. Yeah. You have to watch li- that video. You have horrible. to listen to disabled voices, black disabled voices specifically. We have been mm. here. We did not disappear in history. We are still here to this day. We are the reason that the Black Lives Matter movement has started. And Black Lives Matter movement, give us our space. <laughs> we are dying out here, literally. Mm. So it, it's, it's a bit unfair that the disability, the Black disability conversation is not elevated higher enough. But I will not continue to shut up about these names. You will hear me speak on them more. I'm not going to stop fighting for them. And I'm not going to stop fighting for those that are marginalized and suffering and just disabled people, period. Hmm. So how can people get involved in the movement and to help to continue the conversation forward? Okay, I have Black Disabled Lives Matter on Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's the two places. But also, like, if you want to collaborate with me or, like I said, or like I said, um, like I'm going to say right now, I intend and plan to travel with Black Disabled Lives Matter all over the country at some point and internationally. So that is something I want to do. That is something that's on the bucket list of things I want to do. As to when, I do not know. But I want to be able to show that we've been here and we're going to keep fighting and we're going to keep having these difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. You know, it's, it's important that we don't 
shut us out of the conversation. We've been here. We've mm-hmm. been fighting. Without Judy Hellman and Brad Lomax, I could not be. Give them their thing. Here. Right. <laughs> okay. I almost feel like, uh, yeah, I almost feel like, you know, they started the legacy and it is our responsibility to carry that torch forward. Do you feel that's the case? I agree. I totally agree with you about carrying the torch. I mean, without Judy Hellman and Brad Lomax, we could not do what we're doing now. I could not do what I'm doing now without them. Without Harriet Tubman, I could not be. Without, Mm -hmm. you know, George Floyd passing away, sadly, I couldn't start a movement of my own. Without Sandra Bland, I couldn't resonate with her pain being a Black disabled woman. Without Matthew Rush, and I wouldn't even be marching the street. Mm-hmm. Without Walter Wilson Jr., I would not exist. So when I think of these people, I have to keep fighting. I know some days are hard if you're a disabled person, period. I know as a Black disabled person, it's so much worse. But if mm-hmm. we don't keep fighting, we don't make it easier for the next generation to feel safe. Mm. Keep carrying it on. Keep marching. Keep doing the great work. We have to do this work. And I know it's not easy to say this. I I know that physically we're tired. Emotionally we're tired. The pandemic has killed us. The system has killed us. And so many other things are literally killing disabled people on a daily. And Mm. it's not easy to say that out loud. But it's the reality. And for black disabled people, they don't know where their safety lies because the system doesn't like us. Um, We have to go through different agencies that take forever to care for us and the cops don't like us. So where is our safety? And this is a global issue. Yeah, it's not Would just... Would you say that's true? It's not just... It's not in, just the United States. It's, it's globally, because I, I was actually mm-hmm. raised in Georgetown, Diana, and there is no such thing as accessibility mm-hmm. out there. I, when I was a young child, I had to be pushed in a stroller. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a wheelchair. I didn't know about a wheelchair until I came to America in 2001. So, <laughs> so we, you're also an immigrant. Yes, but uh, but so I'm, but I'm a U.S. citizen. To, so disclaimer: okay. U.S. citizen. I'm not an illegal immigrant. Just saying that. Well, no, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm just I'm just saying that that adds to your narrative and your story, and adding yeah. on an additional marginalized group to yeah. your title. Not that collecting under marginalized. Titles isn't necessarily a good or a bad thing, but um, yeah, I am just another thing that I'm learning about you of Guyana. But you know, but we have a lot of work to do to to meet us where we are. Society Mm -hmm. is still not met us where we are, and that's the problem I still have (laughs) because it's like I don't exist. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow, there's a lot of truth to what you're saying and I really appreciate you being so open and having such a beautiful conversation. 
Yeah, I, you know, something that, you know, me as a, as a white person who is disabled, like I, I obviously, I don't experience the same traumas that you do. And so I'm not here to, you know, try and fix the problems of society. I'm really just here to listen and learn so that I can educate myself on others who are more marginalized. I'm appreciative of you listening <laughs> and uh, <laughs> taking this, this this in and learning and understanding mm-hmm. and real and you know connecting some of it into your own experience. Because right. I heard you like sighing a couple times because it was like you felt some of it yourself in some mm-hmm. of the conversation, right? like not in terms of some of the things I went through, but knowing what your experience is as a disabled disabled person, right. you sighed also. Mm-hmm. Cause you also know it's not easy, <laughs> right? You know, so so that you know the one thing we both have in common is it's not easy. Sad <laughs> mm-hmm. to that's say, true. but that's the one thing we both. And, have. and I'm not here. We're not here to like put you on a hierarchy of you know I have it better off than you. Like I really just want to know what your experience is like. Yeah in the different services that you use and that the services that you don't get what you need. Um, I personally just haven't had to use those services yet. So I'm not familiar with what is out there. Okay. Okay, I understand. No, but what I will say is that, you know, for me, it's a constant fight for my safety Mm -hmm. (laughs) and to make sure that I'm not, falling over the edge, you know, and it was so powerful. And no one should have to live through that. I know. It feels... I would classify that as like inhumane. You know, it, it feels like although you have the support services, are they really holding you up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you know what I mean. You know, if you have all of your support services, are they really, you know, keeping you safe? keeping you intact and keeping you aware. And I've lived with my disability forever and I will continue to live with my disability forever. I just think, mm-hmm. you know, people have to get with the program or get lost. <laughs> We've been yeah. here. I mean, it's not, it's not impossible for you to have kindness. It's not impossible for people to give me what I deserve. And it's not impossible for people to pay me what I deserve also. Cause as somebody who's an independent event planner and disabled, I have found that asking to be paid fairly is like, it's such an uproar. (laughs) And I don't know why, Mm -hmm. because for me, I just want to show people that I can be successful in what I'm doing and that I deserve to be in these spaces that you continually push me out of. Mm. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, friends, for listening. Please rate and follow this podcast or text Carden at 470-588-1215 with comments and suggestions. Tune in next week for another disability topic.